I think that'll really make a difference. You know, it'll really give people the feel of what it's like to be Bob, of what it's like to have a landline in 2020. (laughs) Did you, did you enjoy that? Yeah. Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. Hey, everyone. We have a theme going here. We you do. notice, Josh, lately we get we get on a little roll. We get we we are thematic composers Holy of agile cow. content. You know that? Wow! Right? That is one of the most elegant things I think you've ever said in we, 170 plus episodes. We are. We are. So this theme, Metacasters, is this is part two uh, of scaling. And we might have we might be able to pull a part three out of this. Oh yeah, we can. I think so. I yeah. think so. So uh part one was uh what was the title? You were the problem. You I know I'm the problem, but what was the title? <laughs> you were the problem. Oh, okay. So the title was You Were the Problem. Uh so there are no good scaling frameworks. No, that's that's not Josh and I will argue about that. Mm-hmm. But this one is a specific drill down. And actually, what I'm proud about here is this was this was a user, a listener request. Absolutely. How cool is that? So, listeners, Metacasters, we're listening to you. Make a request. So, on to the episode? On to the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. And I can get the intros right. And we're in person. We're yes. in person today. Again. Yep. This is cool. Schedules have... Work their magic, yes, and we're in the same spot. I always, I always love seeing Josh as opposed to just hearing you talk. So yeah. the insults actually mean so much more to me when they're face to face. You know that. You mean the insults you hurl at me, or you hurl back? Yeah. What are you talking about? You, oh, don't give me the innocent Josh syndrome. I, I think you give this little angelic look to your face. <laughs> you are so full of crap. <laughs> what is that? Me. <laughs> Your wife loves me. I'm so yeah. Innocent. I know she does, okay? That sweet young man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just drives me crazy. Uh, and she always runs around clean because the house can't be cl- uh, unkept when you're coming over, right? <laughs> yeah. Young man, right? So, so God, I wish... Well, I come in, I keep my head down, I go up the stairs, I sit in the chair. That's what I tell her. I'm like, he's not... There could be like eight feet of dust. He's not going to know. I've got a path that I don't. It doesn't. I it, don't waver it from. It doesn't matter. You're. It's. You know what it is, Josh. You're special. That's. That's what it is. Well, hard I, to argue with. I've known that for ten years. Speaking of special, yes. Today, today's topic, brought to us from a steadfast listener. George is is steadfast, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's been he's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as a listener, I mean, as a listener, yeah, I mean, you're not saying anything about the guy. No, <laughs> no, I was talking about him as a listener. What? I don't know him personally. I don't either. I just he, want to make he's sure. On the we... West Coast, I think. Okay, I think he's on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, we will not mention his last name okay. to protect the innocent. Yeah. So, George, this one's for you. <laughs> it right. sure is. So, what's the topic? The next? Can we get to the nexus so, of the point? Y- oh gosh. Would you let me do the segues? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a really crappy segue. <laughs> I don't do segues. It was, I know. We can tell. Yeah. So coming off of our previous episode, we actually did this intentionally where we railed on frameworks. And George, George had asked us to cover the Nexus framework of uh, Ken Schwaber fame. 
and his turtleneck. Yep. But that's a whole other topic. Don't pick on his turtleneck. I, okay. He just right. likes, I mean, sometimes folks like their heads just to be, right? There's this like white bald head. Yeah. Right. And then there's everything else is black. So we're going to discuss the Nexus framework, good, bad. And I remember our previous episode, what we talked about with frameworks and how they can be dangerous. So we're going to try and keep that angle in play as we discuss Nexus. Well, we don't like frameworks. No, we don't. So George asked us specifically to evaluate or talk about the Nexus to the degree that we can. And, and so we'll, we'll have the disclaimers. Of what Actually, we know. I'd like to reframe that. Yep. Frameworks are fine. The way they're misused are the things that we don't like. You and I have learned a lot from various frameworks. No, frameworks suck. What? Oh, okay. Suck. Wow. Yeah. Come on. Do we need to battle on this? You're waffling. You're waffling. I'm not waffling. Yes, you are. The title of the last episode is "You Are the Problem." Yeah. Yeah. Not the frameworks are the problem. No, the frameworks are the problem too. Right. These full. These robust toolboxes. I I am just not comfortable putting the blame on an inanimate thing over there and not accepting responsibility that we misuse it. So frameworks and the people using them are the problem. Okay. Okay. Right. So frameworks suck and the people using them sucks to some degree. Uh, and, and when I say a framework, it's every aspect of a framework. So every, if it has a 20 page description, then someone says Nexus, I'm doing the Nexus. They're doing all of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm railing against. Okay. All right. right. Okay. So people who thoughtlessly apply frameworks to scaling challenges mm-hmm. is what I, I'm, I'm trying to not negate or argue with you, but that was the last time we were railing against that. Right. It's like there's value in the, in the pieces. Mm-hmm. And there's value in people putting them together, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's do we can talk about the nexus. It's not that it's not that big a deal. Yeah, so, no, okay, I, cool. So I think there's value in frameworks, so, Bob. So you and I will just d- agree to disagree. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, baby, we're gonna have to turn off the mics and settle this off mic. Mano, oh, oh mano, <laughs> sure, whatever, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right, so. Nexus, you actually so, informed me just before we started that you've educated yourself on well, Nexus. It's I I've tried to so Metacasters I've forgotten and I'm and this morning I'm I'm frantically trying to get myself up to speed and I'm looking at the Nexus thing so I've forgotten a bit of a but about three four ish maybe four somewhere between three and five years ago I attended Scrum.org so the Nexus is the Ken Schwaber Scrum.org scaling framework um it's probably one of the least used of the frameworks it's probably one of the least known of the frameworks actually i I would say that it's probably least known least used out of all of the the big five or six frameworks the big five or six are uh what safe less scrum at scale nexus and dad uh, I'm not including Spotify because I think it's Spotify, but you can put Spotify in there out of that family of scaling frameworks and Spotify. Uh, the Nexus is probably, probably least, least, in, uh, used. So it's not that popular. Uh, I, I was on this binge, Josh, where I was trying to, you remember when I was like ranking on, I've been ranking on scaling frameworks, like safe, probably yeah, safe right, is yeah. my anchor. Mm-hmm. And I've been ranking on them for a while. So I went on like a study spree of trying to, uh, understand the framework. So I, I was an SPC with safe. I still am an SPC, I guess. Um, 
which is a um, sort of a mid-level cert for it's the mm-hmm. it's the you know sort of below teaching cert for safe. Yeah. Uh, so I did. I I was certified in safe. I went to Nexus, and I'm Scrum at Scale certified at a practitioner level. Uh, and then I've I've not I'm not certified in Dad or Less. I've studied them. Uh, probably less more than Dad, much more than than that. So, but I haven't attended a Less class. So, two two quick questions. Yes. One is that a keep your enemies closer approach that you were taking by learning all of those, or it's it's I I try to be fair before I slam someone. I try to yeah. understand it. Uh, and then if I slam it, I try to look for the good, which is what we were doing last right, time, yeah. right? I try to I try to put myself in a position to look for the good in it mm-hmm. as well as the bad in it, uh, and I try to be even handed. Uh, so that was the that was the case in all of those, uh, and not just study it, but right. just just do that. So the nexus, um, and it was it was that was a risk, and I paid for it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a it was a class. It was in Massachusetts. It was at the Scrum.org. It was part of a lark to get up there. Like see what their office was like and yeah. get to know them. I don't have a Scrum.org certification, mm-hmm. so it was my first Scrum.org. Now I have their uh, leadership certification as well, so I've attended their their PAL, their uh, leadership class. So I, I wanted to see what it was like outside the Scrum Alliance. So that was part of the driver, and then this scalability track. So, okay, so, so I went up there and did that, and this was with the people who were. They have this thing called um, what do they call stewards. Mm-hmm. So this was a this was the stewards teaching it. So it, it's not not just Schwaber. I don't think Schwaber came in. He may have stuck his head in, but it was the stewards of uh, Nexus mm-hmm. were there. The people who guide right, who not put the teaching material together for the classes and things like that. But they also sort of evolved it over time. So the stewards were there practicing, and they were training. They were cross training other stu- other trainers. So it was sort of a train the trainer yeah. trainer event. So I got a chance to meet. Some really, you know, some pretty solid Scrum.org trainers at the time. Okay, so second question. Any thoughts on why it's least known, least used? Because when Greg sent this to us, I scratched my head and like, well, I got to go look that up. I didn't know. You think it's just marketing dollars aren't behind it or it's just it's not perceived to be as good? Like if you had to take a, a wild guess. I think it's part scrum.org in general is le- has less market awareness. Mm-hmm. So, so if, if I was to look at, so safe is the clear market leader in scaling frameworks. And then there's a bunch of folks that are having the scraps, the table scraps mm-hmm. related to that. Uh, out of those, I think Craig Larman's less, he's just, he's just sort of pit bulled it for a while. So it's gotten some traction. Uh, particularly in New York, like financial firms, like J.P. Morgan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he has some large scale success stories and clients, and and that's helped him with less. Um, and then I think the up and comer is Scrum at Scale, mm-hmm. and so I think the Nexus has, which is Sutherland's. So it's funny, <laughs> Nexus is is Schwaber's, yep. and and Scrum at Scale is Sutherland's view. So I think Sutherland's uh, has sort of, you know, sort of gotten more popularity but i think it's just scrum.org it it just was a very narrow niche for them um so i don't know it has okay really yeah deep. all right just I, I mean i don't think they have a real good case study quite frankly when george brought it up mm-hmm. I, I was shocked that someone was interested in nexus i mean i still want to talk about it yeah but i was shocked that i i i can't remember the last time someone said nexus to me 
either conversationally in a coaching. Yeah. I just, I just, I was. All right. So to me, this, this really resonates with what we talked about in the previous episode. Get out there, learn them, understand them. So hopefully not many listeners have heard of this and this is their first opportunity to dig into a little bit. We're not going to cover everything, but this should give you a little bit of a push to go study it more and see if there's bits and pieces that make sense for you. Cause again, that's what we've talked about is, is there something you can grab that solves a problem you have today? Right. And go listen, look, learn, study just as Bob did and go find out the bits and pieces that work for you. And if you find one, use it, but there's no harm in learning. Welcome to the social justice, social equity, black lives matter portion of our podcast. And the reason I say that is we're not sure what to call this. So like everyone else, we're trying to figure things out, trying to do better. Um, I attach to the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of the things we talked about is not letting the hashtag die. And you see a lot of folks, a lot of people that I follow out there continue to raise the, the issues and say, hey, this isn't trending. We need to not lose sight. I appreciate the social justice, social equity side because it's broader. Um, but I do want to maintain attachment to Black Lives Matter is what got us here. It's what pushed yeah. us over the edge. So we'll figure it out. I don't know what, but I, that's the thing I wanted to share. Bob and I were talking before we hit the record button. What do we say? What do we call this? And I just wanted to share with everybody else that we don't know and you don't know and it's okay. But the thing that we're trying to do is figure it out as we go. Yeah. And that, and that's the important part is that we don't lose focus. We stay continually learning. Very agile thing, Bob. That's crazy. And that we get a little bit better every time. I think it, it is losing momentum, right? I, I was thinking today, like part of our presidential strategy or our government st- political strategy is if you blow smoke for a few weeks, mm-hmm. like if you talk about weird things or ignore it, it goes away. The virus, COVID-19, doesn't have that pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, we're, you know, the government is trying to, you know, yeah. our leadership is trying to sort of talk of blame other people, et cetera. Uh, I, I was noticing the last couple of days, we're not talking about Black Lives Matter as mm-hmm. much, right? We, it's not that it's gone to zero, but it doesn't have that sort of intensity. That yeah, to me, it reminds me of playing hide and seek with my kids, where in their view, if they couldn't see me, I couldn't see them. Yeah. You know, so it's like... People are covering their eyes and yeah. pretending it's not there. So like, oh, it just goes away, right? And it's clearly not going away. That's one of the things that's striking me is I, you know, separating ourselves from that, separating myself from it and not, and like not caring so much about what's happening, but what are we doing, mm-hmm. right? And, and are we maintaining the intensity of the focus? Um, and I want to do that. I'm committed mm-hmm. to, I'm, I'm committed to try to do that. Uh, and, and I'm not saying it's zero out there, but it's just, it's not in the news. Uh, you know, people are painting streets and you were getting pictures of that stuff. And now you're not seeing the pictures and you're not seeing folks demonstrating. And I'm sure there are some, but it's the news cycle is part of it. The mm-hmm. visibility cycle is part of it. And then you go back to business as usual. And I just yeah. don't want to go back to business as usual. Yeah. One of the things that, that, that I think that, that gave me hope, um, and it is a terrible thing that happened, but my favorite soccer player in England, Wilfred Zaha, um, had a big game yesterday and a 12 year old 
kid attacked him on social media, threatening with KKK pictures. And if you score a goal against my team tomorrow, this is what's going to happen and all this stuff. And he shared it on social media. He didn't just kind of hold on to it and pretend it didn't happen. He's like, Hey, look, like, remember that black lives matter thing that we've all been fighting for? It's happening. And here you go. And the most encouraging thing to me was the strength of the response from the organizations, from both of the soccer clubs or football clubs, depending on where you're listening to this and the league and the country itself, they responded, um, in a way that is stronger than I've seen before. And that doesn't mean it never happened before, but I appreciated that they put it out there. They addressed it and said, this is what we're trying to do. And we're serious. This is not okay. Um, so situation was terrible, but it again showed that I think we as a society are learning how to respond more effectively. Wanted to continue that, right? It's, it's it's like, and again, I, I'm trying to not sound political, but I think there was there was cases at least in the U.S. where we sort of tolerated things. Remember in Virginia, that young lady was mm-hmm. run, run over, and it was like, oh, there's fine, there's fine people on both sides, right? It was right. a comment that was made, and so what to me, what that was doing, it was opening a door. It was allowing for this asinine behavior. Mm-hmm. It was sort of making it, oh, okay, we'll tolerate that. Right, so you're opening this door of toleration, and people are, were walking through that, and and I think now what we're doing is we're starting to close that door of toleration. But you have to be really consistent yeah. with it, right? Yeah, you're not. The the goal is not to stop that kid or anything. It's to sort of. It's just to reduce this the, the entire world and say this is just we will not stand for this. Right, yeah. this is intolerable. And over time, mm-hmm. I think folks will mold or change or whatnot. And, and and to me, and this builds on what I talked about last time in this segment, is I'm trying to educate myself on how to more effectively address that problem because I am saddened, ashamed, disappointed in myself that I allowed things to happen in the past. And I feel this responsibility that I should have felt before, but I do now. So now I'm trying to, again, get better at it so that way... When something happens, I can effectively respond just like the clubs and the organization and the players and everything it, it, so that we, again, we over time can um, change the way we as a society work and treat each other. So that's the, that's the goal. And the thing I've been working on, um, the book. So you want to talk about race? It came. I bought two. I started reading it. Um, so that's the, that's the progress I've made. It's, it's it's not a ton, but it's progress. It's progress. I'm doing the same stuff I was talking about the last time. The one thing I want to bring up, I don't know when this is. Do you know when this is going to get posted? It's going to be a, a little while. A little yeah, while. Yeah. So I, I, w- I would encourage everyone to look at the Agile Alliance. Um, there's a three-part um, social justice from the Agile Alliance point of view. Uh, three-part open spaces. I volunteered for the first one to just serve as a volunteer because mm-hmm. these are very uh, sort of emotionally charged conversations. Yeah. And I think I talked about the first one. I missed the second one. The third one is on uh, July 31st and they're like a three hour open space. Um, it should be out in time for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, okay. so, so if you can, we'll sign, just make it so if you can sign up for that, if you're interested in having discussions 
there's two wonderful folks that are facilitating it with the support of the Scrum Alliance. But it's it's not solving. It's not telling you what to do. It's just sort of just like we're doing, but exploring it. I think the first open space, maybe there was a, I'm trying to think, maybe 150 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's on Zoom. Uh, and it was I. It, it was just a refreshing set of conversations. I'm inspired that the. I'm I'm very happy that the Scrum Alliance is taking. I mean, no, I'm sorry, the Agile Alliance is taking some action. Mm-hmm. So, so again, our goal is to not let the hashtag die or to let the movement fade into the past. So that's why every episode we're going to talk about this. And some episodes will have more. Some some episodes will have less. But we are committed to not letting this just fade away. And just like we ask for comments on the the topics of the Metacast, send us ideas, reactions, topics, themes, things that you think we've missaid, said appropriately, anything around yeah, this. Absolutely. Send it to us. Uh, engage with us in this, even if it's a, even if it's like a kudo. Uh, that would go a long way to helping us. So we really would encourage feedback to the Metacast yep. on this. That'll work. Okay. On to the episode. Yep. Thank you. So let's go to the the Nexus. And I'm just, Metacasters, I'm just, and I want you to interrupt with like clarifying questions. Yeah. Um, so it starts with, I think, a core idea of the Nexus, and this is true of less, and I struggle with it is they they drive everything from a single product owner point of view. Mm-hmm. So they drive um they drive uh so the unit of of scale in the Nexus is 3 to 9 scrum teams. Okay. So you scale so the Nexus is not greater than 9 and no less than you don't need the Nexus for one or two. Can you have multiple Nexi? You you do. That's okay. that's what you would do. Okay. I don't think they name it Nexi. <laughs> But Nexuses feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> God, you just is that what I do to you when yes. I make something out, out yeah. and I pull yeah. it out of thin air? Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm just frozen. I'm like, what the hell was that? Uh so the the unit of and this is true of less, large scale scrum, is that their unit they have something called uh what is it, huge uh less huge, and then normal less and less huge, and they mm. draw a line of like nine teams. And so you would do prod projects, products up to nine teams. So you, when you're decomposing your product line yeah, and when you're thinking of a, from a product alignment perspective and, and developing roadmaps, you're thinking a chunk up to a chunk of nine folks and, and you're yeah. composing things that way. So nine squads. So nine squads. Okay. So I, I align with that loosely and I use the term squads because I'm a fan of the learnings that Spotify has yep. shared. I'll yep. say it like that. Yep. And one of the things that they talked about is that they did some research and they prefer to keep their their largest unit was called a tribe. It might have evolved. But their max size for that was about 100. And it was based on research that they had done on the maximum number of strong connections a human can have oh, with other a, coworkers. What's that name? There's a name for there's that. There's a name. Assi- there's, there's, there's papers guy, written on it. There's a guy yeah. about communication yeah. channels. And so slightly more than 100. But Yeah, in that ballpark. So. Yeah. That's that round number, and about nine squads with all of the people supporting that is probably about a hundred ish people. Yeah. So that aligns. I get that. So it's so it's a chunk of nine teams, but then the way they the Nexus thinks about it, and Les does this too, is there's one product owner, so a single product owner for that whole yeah, collection of yeah. people. Yeah, and this is one of the things wow, I struggle that with. Is challenging, uh, and and I think the the reason for that is focus and integration mm-hmm. and flow. 
and identity and all of that, right? It's like having one person. Um, I, I think there's advantages to that, like cohesion of the vision and things like that. You're not communicating. There's no, there, there's, there's total clarity from a product perspective. So, so for example, to drive that, the Nexus has a product backlog. Mm-hmm. And then it has uh, sprint planning with all of the teams. So, so literally you have, you have nine up to nine teams, but you don't have nine products. So the way I would compose those teams is there would be a meta backlog or a, mm-hmm. a roadmap or something, mm-hmm. but, I, but each team would have a backlog in a, in a scrum sense. Nexus says, no, there's one, there's one product owner. There's one backlog. You with me? Yeah. And uh, then sprint planning is done such that it's done for all with all of the teams included. So all of the teams are pulling from that one backlog and they create their sprint plans and then they all go into like an execution. So it's sprint planning, then sprint, then there's a Nexus sprint backlog. Mm -hmm. So, so sprint planning with all the teams or representation, then a sprint backlog one for all nine teams. Mm -hmm. I'm just using nine teams, right? right, But six or whatever. And then the teams execute. So it's really one, it's like one, one, one. Yeah. So my, as I roll that over my brain, my first reaction was, holy cow, that sounds like a lot. I've been a large proponent of the product owner role, and I've believed for a long time that it's the hardest role in classic Scrum. So... I'm intrigued to understand how that works. The one thing that I've seen that I think could support something like that is our friend Eric Hannon was evolving his organization that most of the traditional product owner duties were absorbed from within the team. And the teams really started to take on a ton of that. So I think if you had an approach like that and you had really mature engineers and teams supporting you, that feels more reasonable still seems like a high hurdle to jump over. Um, but that's the only way I could think of it really executing well, having a single product owner for tens of engineers, you know, 50, 60, 70, whatever the number is, that seems like a tall ask, yeah. but it would require the engineers to, to, to do more than what they traditionally are asked <coughs> to do with a product right. owner sitting right next to them. Right. So that's think, the only thing I can think of that would I make that less happen. I think same. Less has this. Uh, there's a single product owner for the same number of teams, but I think the difference in the Nexus is they have a unified like artifacts. Like less would have a single product owner and a single backlog, but then the teams themselves would have backlogs. So so you would decompose, right? Okay. And that product owner would decompose it with the teams. And unless that they would have helper, maybe a BA per team or something who's helping, but there's really it's not an assistant PO mm-hmm. or product manager PO. It's really one PO with maybe some helpers on a per team level. So less does the decomp- does does the unification at the primary backlog level and at the product owner level. There's one and there's one, and then the decomposition decomp- starts there. Nexus has. It's really one of everything into the teams. Mm -hmm. Once you start the sprint, then teams are plucking things off the sprint backlog. So it's almost like this rotating wheel of the teams executing. There's something in the Nexus called an integration team, 
which is sort of floating around cross team members because integration is an, is an issue across the teams. If mm-hmm. you have teams plucking things from a singular, like if you have nine teams plucking work off of a singular backlog, right? A, a sprint backlog, not just a product backlog. Yeah. Then you have this sort of this, this risk of confusion of people picking the wrong things off. So the integration team is sort of guiding like, Who's plucking? What are they plucking? So that we're integrating with across those teams, uh, dependencies across the teams, but even thoughtful plucking of work outside of it, so that the teams are thoughtfully sort of like yeah. pulling the right work. Is so when you say an integration team, is it a group of different skill sets, or is it like? So when I hear that, I get this like my my blood pressure rises because I think hardening sprint. I think I think things like that. I don't think it's and, and this is where I I forget. It's been so yeah. many years. There's an integration team. I forget exactly their specific uh, responsibilities. I think they're almost like an RTE or at least train engineer ish okay. thing, but maybe technical. Right. Uh, they're not product. They, they and they're cross functional. So it's it's like I think they have cross functional representation of the teams. Let me talk about the outbound side. Yep. Yep. So so or. There's a Nexus daily scrum. So there's one daily scrum across nine teams. Uh, there's, and, and so, so. Hold on. Let me ask a clarifying question as you asked me to do. Yeah. Is the, is the unit with which people discuss a team or is it each engineer operates as a unit? No, or is no, it that there's, no, there that there's are, nine units? There are nine scrum teams within. Right. The, but during that standup, do we speak as a team or do I speak as let's say there's, there's seven people. So that's 63 people. We go around in circles. So the Nexus people. is talking about the work from the point of view of the Nexus, the sprint plan with the integration team. Okay. The teams themselves can have a daily scrum themselves. It's an optional daily okay. scrum okay. just okay. for the gotcha. team. Yeah. Right. But, but again, it, it, I think of it as optional because they could be totally driven from the Nexus. Yeah. Right. And the Nexus stuff is this inbound, Remember the teams plan together. They they do cross team planning. Uh, cross that. Hold on a second. Gotcha. Okay. Bob's been locked out of his computer, and he's back in. Thank you. For I the, I didn't want to leave. Thank a you blank for the running space. I thank just, you for you know, the running commentary. Well, I'm working on you know becoming a commentary. They asked me to replace Bob Costas, um, <laughs> and I can see that that's working out for you. <laughs> So that's my next gig. Whenever I get a chance to practice, I do. So I struggle. I I, I struggle. I, I remember in the class, I was struggling with the nuance of this stuff. Like they're really, it's almost like no team. It's almost like you have no sense of team. It's it's like a scrum team gets blended into the nexus. So maybe 80% of your identity gets blended into the nexus across eight other teams. Then you have the notion of a, a scrum team. I'm not trying to be extreme. But I really think that's true. So there's a Nexus sprint review, for example. There is not a team sprint review, right? So the Nexus, so meaning three to nine teams accumulate their results. So so it's on the outbound side. There's a Nexus daily scrum. There's a Nexus sprint review. The retrospectives were a little bit. There's a ne- There's a Nexus sprint retrospective. I forget. I think it had all the teams involved. But the, I think the teams themselves could do, just like the teams can have a daily scrum, I think they can have their own retro, but I think the Nexus retro with all of the teams. So there's a lot of cross-team stuff. The planning is done collaboratively across multiple teams with, I mean, actually the teams are in the same room 
or representation. So when I say sprint planning across nine teams, it's like a mini PI planning event, right? For for a two week sprint, uh, it's it's sort of that. So you have you know one one backlog, etc., coming in. Mm-hmm. There's this daily execution nexus, and then there's the review. Uh, the daily scrum has a little bit of viability, you know, sort of, it, you can have a daily scrum. Uh, there is, you know, the, in the role of the integration team, I think is to sort of keep everyone flowing in the same direction, getting teams thinking about, I think another role of the integration team would be the demo, the mm-hmm. review, making sure that it's an integrated review, yeah, yeah. right? Cohesive yeah. review uh, versus that. So they're sort of guiding the, the, the not up to nine teams. You look like you want to say a lot. I, well, I'm trying to understand, again, going back to the previous episode and some of the things I said today where I was asking the question, what problem are we trying to solve? And this feels like a lot of additional slash different stuff that I'm really grasping at straws trying to understand the problem it's addressing it feels to me like you're potentially just trading problems like hey regular scrum wasn't working for our group of nine teams so we're doing this but what i'm struggling to see and understand hopefully our listeners maybe there's folks that are out there that have used this and can write in or can can say hey here's the difference it made for us what i'm really wrestling with is how does this make life better? And the fear that I have again is that you, you're just swapping problems that like you moved it from here to here. You still have the net same number of challenges. Maybe they're different, but I'm struggling to see how this fundamentally makes life better. So when I think we talked about something in the last podcast and I think you did, you mentioned scrum up a level. I think it was you. Uh, And I think that I resonate with that as well. So I think of scaling frameworks as being, in my own mind, there's top-down frameworks where someone in their infinite wisdom tries to create all the crap mm-hmm. necessary, like a big box of scaling tools, and then inject it from the top down. It's usually hierarchical and safe is what I'm referring to. But mm-hmm. there's but there's other, like uh, there's an agile unified process, which Dean Leffingwell was a, a rep guy. So he inherited some mm-hmm. of that thinking. So there are frameworks, dad is sort of like this a little bit, where, you know, it's like we're thinking broadly and deeply, and we're inter- and we're doing most of the thinking for yeah. you. So there's top-down stuff. Then there's a genre of framework that I think of as scrum up a level, mm-hmm. which is, to me, healthier. I just, I, I'll just be honest, I resonate with that. It's like you start with scrum as a basic and you go up a level. Less is a scrum up a level uh, framework, framework, uh, in my view, mm-hmm. uh, scrum at scale is a scrum up a level framework. Uh, again, Spotify, it doesn't really, count. right. Yeah. It's not, um, I think Nexus is a scrum down a level. And what I mean by that, it's, I think Schwaber is trying to turn three to nine teams into a single scrum team. So instead of honoring the scrum team, he's taking the scrum team and wrapping it around Right. If you look at it, this is Scrum with teams underneath it. Yeah. The way I see it is that single individual humans stop being the unit with which we discuss. And now it's nine pods of people yes. that are one 
that speak the same words at the same Correct. time, you know, Correct. and have the same. And in scrum at yeah. scale, you, you don't, the, the lowest unit is the scrum team, mm-hmm. unless the lowest unit is the scrum team. In here, it almost takes the scrum team as a subservient unit. Right. So it turns the, it turns the team into what traditionally was the member of the so team, like, and so now nine, the nexus nine is the teams team. is, yeah. and and if you look if you look at the picture, there's a single. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now it's a little bit twisted or a little bit different because there's a little bit of team empowerment in there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the integration team is guiding the team. The fact that the teams can can do uh, you know have their daily scrums themselves, but really it's a single. Yeah. Like the 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 events and things are are across up to nine teams. So I have an issue with it, like from that, it, not an issue. It just feels, it was odd. It's an odd yeah. framework. So have you ever been through a training session like that professionally trained on a thing, not just reading the PDF that's shared on scrum.org? Have you ever been through something like that and not pulled a tidbit out and applied it? And maybe you did, during this, but it sounds like you didn't, given the fact that you hadn't heard it in years, and we had to go back and refresh. It wasn't something really, that stuck in your brain. I don't, I don't think the only thing that I pull out of the Nexus is that it is a Scrum up a level, not a framework down a level thing. So it is simple, yeah, right? Okay. It does. It does have simplicity. Um, I don't think I pulled very much out of it. When I, when I talked about, there's a blog post that I've done where I talk about decomposing the frameworks into things that I like, like mm-hmm. tools I've pulled out that I, mm-hmm. I, I'm fond of. And I, I think I, I think I aggregated the nexus with like less or something like that. The biggest issue I have with it is this whole notion of, and it's the issue I have, it's the big issue I have with less as well, is can a singular product owner, I have this question, mm-hmm. and I think I know, I per, I have also have the answer for myself, but I'm not trying to put it on your brain. I don't think a singular product owner, like I've never met a single product owner that could coordinate across nine teams. Well, and that's why I said, I think, being, the, right? yeah, to me, I think the only chance you have with this is to implement something similar to what Eric did, where product owners moved up a level similar to this, but he was only able to do that after years of really growing and maturing his agile teams to where the teams actually, they requested to do more of the product owner work because they wanted to be more, more connected with the value that they were delivering to the customer. Right. Yeah. How big were they? They weren't in scrum teams. It was a nexus. Right, it wasn't multiple next But I mean, I don't think it was nine teams. No. I don't think he had nine. He might have had like five or six yeah, teams or right. something. But like it that. was a nexus. It was a nexus. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm yeah. just. But it was. It was pretty. It was relatively small. Yeah, but to ramp that up to nine, that would be yeah a challenge. It was relatively small. All I'm. All, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying yeah. that Eric's was an outlier in that the leader, the entire leadership team, got agile. Was very yeah. supportive of right. him. Absolutely, from a product point of view. The teams were incredibly on board. With mm-hmm. I mean, it was like a safe, easier environment. I'm yeah. not, it's not, I'm trying to say it, it's not normal, right? right. It's, it, well, and that was the first time I heard of that. And when he shared it with me, I was like, that's ridiculous. And then he and I talked more like, oh, that's really cool. It makes sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen, and I brought this up when we were talking about this, because it just, it was odd to me. I mean, the entire, the entire class was odd. This actually sounded like something that Schwaber pulled out of thin air. Mm-hmm. 
gosh, this is sounding bad. I don't mean it to sound that way. I don't think this has gotten a lot of runway in real companies, right? So I don't think this is based on, I think this is based on something like Schwaber or, or a couple of folks saying, what do we think the scaling framework should be? Right. And they, and they, oh, it's a scrum yeah. team. Yeah. And they made it up. But I don't know if they've like sort of tempered it in the fire of real world, yeah. <laughs> real world application. I, I think it's a nice conceptual framework. Uh, okay, so let's leave it as it is, and yeah. let's ask our viewers if you have opposing views and you think we're missing the mark. Let us know. Um, based on our research, we've shared with you the thoughts and theories we have about. Um, the nexus and good and bad or yep. lack thereof or whatever it might be. So tell us what we're missing. You know, we would love to hear from folks that have put this in practice and had real success with so it or the, put it in practice yeah. and said, you know what? We abandoned ship and here's why. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's, I want to talk about the strengths, you know, I think it's simple. Mm-hmm. I think it's scrum up a level ish, mm-hmm. not maybe not as much as scrum at scale. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of, you know, it, it it's it's flow based it's so i don't think it's bad for like a single like eric could use something like this yeah i don't think i could i don't i don't envision like in a single we have three to five or six teams the nexus would be as good as anything to try to make that happen right scaling happened to yeah. worry about scaling i think beyond that uh I, I think it becomes problematic yeah the fear i have um with an organization that is looking to implement something like this, from my understanding, it feels like this requires a high level of maturity that many organizations that are looking to make a move like this don't have yet. It doesn't mean they can't get there, but I think when you're looking for a framework to scale, oftentimes you're doing that because the maturity is not there. So this feels risky to try and jump to something like this when you're not matured yet it might be something that again like with eric it makes sense after years of him and his team working their tail off that yeah like we can do that and that makes sense for us because we've achieved this but the first stab seems scary i mean things like refinement get a little fuzzy like what does backlog refinement clearly you're not going to get nine teams in a room to do backlog refinement. So you're going to have sub teams or something. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. so uh, all of the upfront backlog stuff is really what I have issue. I, I have almost the same issues with less in that there's this, you know, the superpower. I really struggle with the notion of a superpowered product owner who by the sheer force of their will yeah. can coordinate the work of three to nine teams. I, I just, Are, so question do those frameworks come from people with unique product owner superpowers? I, I don't, I think they're looking at it and again, less has had more successes. I think they're looking at it. So there's a cost to having a program manager. So let's do it in scrum scrummies. I have nine teams. Mm-hmm. I would have a product manager and you've seen that as mm-hmm. dude or whatever. And I would have nine product owners mm-hmm. The issue with that is maintaining a consolidated vision mm-hmm. and doing what? All of the integration across those nine backlogs, like dependency management, vision management, integration management, that's across those product owners. They have to work together. They have to game plan, et cetera. 
if you have one person, you remove all of that waste, mm-hmm. right? Or, or ostensibly, yeah. Ostensibly, you remove all of that waste. It's in, it's in your brain, yeah. right? And you're maintaining all of that. That's the reason why I think it's sort of the alignment, the mission, and goal setting. Well, and the reason I ask that question is I've made mistakes where I assumed. So we talked about superpowers a few episodes ago. I didn't recognize that my superpowers were my superpowers. I just thought everybody else thought and operated like that. So I would implement things thinking that everybody, all of their brains worked the way mine did. So I, so I wonder if the creators of these two real product, single product vision led approaches are created by people who are super product owners. I think it's the lean thinking. I think it's reducing waste. I think it's part of it is if you go to the Toyota manufacturing, in Toyota manufacturing, there was always the notion of a lead engineer. Mm-hmm. And the Toyota lead engineer was someone who was part product owner, part visionary, part uh, had engineering skills across all the technologies. They, the part architect, mm-hmm. they were literally like the one person who was driving hundreds of people to build a car or to build a TV yeah. or to what. There was this notion of a lead engineer. And I think Craig and has triggered, you know, Larman has triggered on, it's not just product ownership or product management. It's, we need one, you know, it's, it's more efficient if there's one driver of all of the execution engine. Um, you remove a lot of risk. You remove a lot of wasted meetings and wasted communication channel, et cetera. So they're trying to, they're trying to do that. Okay. And maybe they think, maybe he thinks he's, you know, that. Yeah. Now I think, now I think in the real world, I don't think you find people like that. I think it's, it's rare. And yes, those people exist, but to try and scale an organization based on finding and retaining those seems risky. To right. Me. Right. Whereas yeah. if you look at, I mean, again, in safe takes a more, you know, I pick on it hierarchically, but safe picks a more, you know, sort of team by team approach. Yeah. Right. And trains mm-hmm. and aggregating up and having, you know, sort of, I mean, it has product. There's a product hierarchy that is driving safe. Scrum at scale has more of a product hierarchy. So you have these competing voices. Like I said, dad is sort of more all encompassing. Dad is a, so, um, Spotify is an outlier on the bottom side, meaning it's just practices. Dad is sort of an outlier on the top side. Like it talks about data engineering yeah. and things because of his background, right? Mm-hmm. Like how important it is to do data engineering and things right. and architecture. So it's more of a meta set of practices. Uh, so it's really safe and scrum at scale and then less and nexus. Uh, I put scrum of scrums. If I, that's what I was wanted to add to me, scrum of scrums would be on the scrum at scale side of things. It's scrum up a level. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not trying to, you know, it's not trying to unify product ownership or something right. like that. It's not trying to aggregate teams in some, you know, artificial way. Okay, cool. Well, do you have a fork in your back pocket? Uh, I'm trying to think of something. I mean, to wrap up to George and it's not, I, I would actually almost say stay away from this is, you know, and I'm not trying to have a strong, like a consultative, you know, a piece of advice. I, I would actually suggest looking at less and looking at Scrum at scale mm-hmm. and thinking of the world of Scrum up a level 
or scrum down a level, mm -hmm. the way we were talking about it. And less as a scrum down a level, meaning we're aggregating to roles and, and look at scrum at scale as an upper level. Uh, and then I'm biased. I think scrum at scale is probably the best of those. If mm -hmm. you can't do scrum of scrums, then scrum at scale is probably better than save. Yeah. But if you're com so, so George, I'm, I'm, I'm saying probably Nexus, it's not worth it. I don't think it has the traction in the marketplace. Uh, and so, you know, look at it if you want to. If someone has a, a wild hair about it, that's fine. But then I would still contrast it against like a scrum at scale or something like that. And do and do sort of an apples to oranges comparison mm -hmm. and then see. Uh, the other thing then if you're leaning towards Nexus is strength of your product team is paramount. Yeah. So it's not just a superhuman being. It's strength and prioritization. Strength in being able to, what, have sane backlogs that match to capacity. So the product organization, I think, has to be relatively mature in less and in, in Nexus. It's not just one super person, but they, they, they need, they right. need structure yep. around them, right? They need sane decision making on the part of leaders. Yep. So, so that's one of the things as well. Cool. I think it's time to stick a fork in it. Oh, good. You found your fork? Yeah. Okay. So. From beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.